don't believe that we are put on this earth to just work, pay bills, and then die. I know that we can learn from one another, and we have the choice and the resources to create a life that both challenges us to expand and grow while also nourishing us. Your path doesn't need to look like anyone else's, nor will it. But I've come to see that there are common denominators of success from those who are finding their path. This podcast is my effort to connect with those who are doing just that and to bring you their stories so that we can all gain insights and elevate our thoughts and experience. Then combine those ingredients in your own way to find and live your metaphorical dance, no matter what industry or chapter of life you're in. Thanks for tuning in and joining me today. Now, let's dance. Guys, I'm so excited to share this episode with Jim Harris with you. After this episode, actually, I'll be taking a break from recording and publishing new episodes in order to get my second book entitled Live Your Dance out to you by early 2019. So there's lots of work to be done, but thankfully, even as I was editing this episode this last week and listening to Jim's story again, it just made me realize how worthwhile and important stories like his are. Jim and I actually met last year and found that we could talk easily for over eight hours in one sitting. Shout out to the cafe employees where we were who saw that we'd been there for a while and they even came and gave us some free ice cream, which was so nice. And after that though, I, I totally knew he'd be a great addition to the podcast. He's thoughtful, he's humble, he's always willing to learn more. His story essentially in 2014 after making the leap from being a ski bum to adventure photographer, he was on an expedition in Chile with a travel partner, and while snow kiting, um, he had an accident and broke his back and was soon paralyzed from the sternum down. So life as a photographer and athlete as he knew it was about to be drastically different. He'll tell you more about it in the episode, but Jim's had an amazing recovery over the last few years, and it's still ongoing. And to that end, he's been able to return to biking and skiing recently, and even his recovery process has garnered the attention of many people. So I'm really grateful to hear his story and to share it with you. And congrats to Jim, because earlier this year, he signed an athlete contract with Adidas in their outdoor expedition category called Terex. So that's really exciting. In this episode, I asked Jim more about his mental journey how has he reconciled planning his life with going with the flow? Why do goals even matter? How can we redefine success in a more healthy way? How can we navigate the aftermath of unexpected life-altering events? How can we avoid getting stuck when we have big goals, like learning how to walk all over again or even writing a book? I hope you find our conversation insightful with a few takeaways to integrate into your day. And with that said, let's get to the episode. In 2005, I graduated from the University of Montana with degrees in biology and in art. And I decided that before going to biology grad school, I wanted to go be a ski bum for a winter. So I moved to Crested Butte, I tuned to skis, and then by that next fall, I moved to Utah to be a ski bum for a second winter, Perfect. and then a third, <laughs> and then a fourth. And throughout that time, I was doing like mountain guiding work and outdoor education stuff, but I never made it to grad school. Instead, my trajectory went a totally different way where I started getting hired to do on, on like photo projects, oh, and yeah. especially with kind of outdoor related things. Yeah, so at some point I just like, suddenly after I kind of had a series of coincidences where I got offered a couple projects in a row and went from being a very like amateur photographer to doing it full time for work <laughs> and being like, oh man, I think I'm making more money doing photo work than I am doing ski guiding and waiting tables and tuning skis and all these like other, all yeah, and like all these like five <laughs> other ski bum jobs at once. And um, yeah, so that led to a handful of years of getting to like travel the globe and go on all kinds of really cool trips with fascinating people. Yeah. And that culminated in a, in a trip that a friend and I received a grant for in, um, in South America. We'd planned to go ski across Patagonia's ice cap. And as part of that, we had packed pack rafts and snow kites oh, and had this multi-sport pretty intrepid sort of adventure we'd spent a year and a half planning and got to South America and we're playing around with these snow kites on a grassy field and I got picked up and slammed down and broke my vertebrae and regained consciousness in this grassy field and I was paralyzed. I spent a little over a week 
in a South American hospital and got transferred back to the States and spent another about seven months in a hospital called Craig in Denver, um, where I went from being on bed rest for almost two months to a wheelchair for a handful of months, and then eventually upgraded to a walker, and <laughs> and then from a again. walker to canes. And yeah, so I've had this like huge, huge recovery from paralysis, but also like a massive shift in the life that ha like yeah. the lifestyle that I was living and my income and what I did for fun and circle of friends and everything from pre-accident to post. Sure. So it almost feels like a lifetime ago. Like it was really only three and a half years ago. But it's a but totally it feels, different landscape now. Yeah, it feels like such a different landscape now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, especially when we like, when it becomes an identity, like these sports are who I am and these activities is who I am. And now when it feels like those things are stripped from you, it's like, okay, well, who am I apart from all these activities? Or can I still, I mean, you're finding ways to still do some of them at least, mm -hmm. um, but in a new way too. And then your art is becoming more, it seems like more of a focus. But what do you, well, so many questions. Um, <laughs> what would you say, well, I was asking you earlier offline about, you know, to me, my perspective was that you found ways to do it. You found your own way to do life at this point. I mean, through choice or through uh, being forced to do that. And, you know, that's something I really love is kind of the off the beaten path side of it. But you were saying you've kind of found ways or you're exploring more of the conventional side about how to do life or just trying to get back to normalcy. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think as far as having, just making um, non-standard, going against the grain of what sort of culture tells us we should be doing as adults, yeah. I think that's something I've really pushed back against through adolescence and college. I grew up in the Midwest. I went to like a prep high school with a lot of smart kids and I got good grades and good test scores and had opportunities to go to prestigious universities, but didn't come from um, like a financial situation where my parents could, could bankroll like an Ivy League school. Could have gone to an Ivy League school, just would have been taking out yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of loans. And so I kind of feel like that one really important decision early in my life that I don't think I even realized how important it was. It wasn't like the school that I went to, but deciding that I did not want to be like $150,000 in debt yeah, or $150,000 coming out of you know, undergrad or something. Yeah. And the fact that I went instead went to an inexpensive state school um, and was able to graduate debt-free and that, that single factor opened up so many opportunities for things to come since where if I had gone to an expensive prestigious school, I would have I wouldn't have been able to have the this footloose lifestyle and done outdoor ed work and been a ski bum and yeah. travel the world just because I would have had jumping. massive loan payments that I had to make every month. Yeah. And jumping into the job life just so you can start paying those off. Yeah. And then feeling strapped to like continue that. Yeah, direction. and then it's yeah, then you kind of are stuck on that. It's really hard to get off of that path once you're on it, especially once, you know, maybe eventually pay off the college debt. But at that point, there's like home loans and yeah. kids and all kinds of other life expenses. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. can't, it becomes it really impractical, really difficult to see a way to break out of that. Yeah. And it's not that that's bad. I mean, some people intentionally choose that and it's a, a great pathway for them. I think it's good to just know you have oh, a yeah, choice. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't like think there's not... anything, yeah, there's nothing like, I think it gets problematic in that it becomes such a default choice for people. Yeah. And that becomes like just the expectation that this is like what you do. And I know, I feel like we can see that effects of that and how it's shifted. And I, I think really clearly in our generation, just with the way people our age treat things like marriage yeah. and relationships where maybe our parents, definitely our grandparents were like <laughs> all married and having kids at 25 or 27. Or earlier, you know? yeah. <laughs> like my mom was 29 and I think among her peers, she was like, that counted as waiting. Yeah, yeah. And now, like, among people who are 29, very few of them have kids. Absolutely. And it's, there's just been a shift from this being, like, the default of, like, well, this is what you do, mm -hmm. to, like, well, actually, there might be some other choices, <laughs> and you don't actually owe this to anyone. You don't have to do it. Mm -mm. And then maybe that's the one that I think, maybe the root of the cultural shift for around careers and around families or around homeownership is this idea that what we owe other people through our existence is a really interesting idea to me because it seems like there's like a huge shift that's happened from, you know, with my grandpa worked for like 60 plus years in a produce Whoa. warehouse, like worked Whoa. for like from the time he was a teenager yeah. into like his seventies and gave his life towards this, this produce warehouse 
provided for a family of, of six um, from a single income. And oh, yeah, and I hope he enjoyed that. But there was obviously a huge sense of responsibility he felt yeah. to like provide for these people around him. Absolutely. Um, well, and I, that seems like that has shifted a lot. But just yeah. by the time our parents, you know, were by the time my parents were looking for employment, maybe it was like you know, my mom became a school teacher because that was something that seemed interesting to her and something she cared about. Maybe I imagine she knew. I'm sure she knew back then that that was like not going to ever be a very lucrative job, <laughs> but like what? decided she cared about it enough that was that that was a valuable part of the compensation yeah. sort of, which is a big shift in the way that we look at work. And it seems like kind of relationships have shifted similarly. Okay, maybe you don't have to do this thing because you owe it to anybody to have to do this job that you don't want to do. Maybe you should do it because it comes out of your own needs and interests. Like right. maybe this relationship, this love relationship should come out of your own needs and interests. And if it's clearly not, then maybe it's time to consider divorce or whatever. But that, it seems like there's just been a, such an evolution over the last couple of generations in that kind of our alliance towards ourselves and this kind of humanitarian, humanistic, not humanitarian, humanistic way of looking at yeah. the world that like my experience should be like my very first priority in life. Yeah. I mean, if we go back when most people were agricultural where like subsistent farmers, A, they probably had kids to help work the farm. It was much more of a pragmatic repopulation than just having kids for the experience or the, you know, it was like, we actually need these people to then help take care of the farm when we go or whatever. Yeah. It's very like, very practical. Kids were put to work. Yeah. And at this point now, you know, kid, having kids or not is more of a luxury. Can we afford it? Can we do these things? It's, it's mm -hmm. not so much like we need the, the children to work the family business or to carry on, you know, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to someone recently about how the idea of boredom is something that's only come since we've had the luxury of time. And all these conveniences that, you know, different technologies have brought, have given us more time, and then we now have this thing that we've invented called boredom. And so I thought that was an interesting idea that we now are so not evolved, but we've we've come to a place where now we have to then fill that with entertainment and with all these things. So I don't know, I thought that was an interesting look at it, not necessarily from the side of like humans need to express art, which is normal normally where I come from, but he was saying we only now express art because, not now, but in general because we have the luxury of time to do so. I'd be curious to hear more about that point of yeah. view. Yeah, it, it's counter to what I've... I wonder what sociological studies exist about the concept of boredom and how long yeah. that's been like a, an idea or a, Something, a I mean, term. I'm sure because, kids have been bored in general, but they usually are just thrown I mean, into the work of the house. Kind of running counter to that point of view is there's an awful lot of sociological research that points towards primitive cultures having significantly more leisure time than we have now. And that it's delusional to think that we are the first civilization that's had free time. That's true. That, that, that we, you know. <laughs> we invented this thing called free that, time. <laughs> the, according to people who study these sort of things, the more primitive your culture is, the more of it you're going to have. Interesting. And the fact that like hunter-gatherer societies, yeah. they say work about four hours a day. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense. And that, you know, um, well, that there's, farming, there's huge amounts not. of leisure time. You're right. And then yeah. a huge decrease in leisure time as you move into an agrarian agricultural society. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And that then there's more stability and security as far as like food source and nutrients go, but um, at the expense of, yeah, at the expense of a lot of time and self-determination. Like you can't decide where to go. You need to stay no. there and defend those fields from the deer that want to come eat it, from the invading <laughs> tribes, from your neighbors, things. from all yeah. the things. And that that's not necessarily a consideration if you're, if you're a nomadic group. That's true. Yeah, it's... But then the, the, and that trend has played out as really what all studied throughout the 20th century as we've invented things like, you know, dishwashers and vacuums, and all these time-saving devices that turns out the more we have this lifestyle creep of more and more stuff to make our life more convenient, the, right. the less leisure time we actually end up having. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And I think about that too in cities. Like, everything's supposed to be more convenient because it's all closely packed. But then the congestion of actually living in the city just creates more friction, I guess within your lifestyle. Whereas living out here where it's like, you can get your errands done, you can travel all these miles really fast, it seems more efficient in some ways. I mean, it seems like there's just such a, such a record of human creativity across eons of time. Right. That's um, where I was like, I don't know. It seems like cave I, paintings and things must have been like, maybe that some of those, some of that stuff felt vitally important to people, but some of it must have been like, huh, like, I I'm not today, doing anything. Yeah, I'm not I... hungry. I'm not cold. I'm not, yeah. Anything, I guess I'll like chip some patterns <laughs> in this rock here. Like, there, I imagine at least some of that ancient art must have come out of kind of like a, if not boredom, at least a sense of like, cool, all the other higher priorities are checked off the list. And, and now I can play a little. Cool, now I'm going to work on this bead thing. It would be interesting to look more into that. I'm sure someone has done studies on it.
How would you say, like, at this point, have you been more intentional with your, like, the design of your life? Or is it more like, okay, I can do these things, so I might as well do these things? Like, how have you kind of, post-accident, how have you been thinking about intentionally or non unintentionally designing this chapter of your life? Oh, that seems like such a tricky question for me to answer because I can see such strong elements of both really intentional design and then also a large amount of, like, going with the flow. Oh, cool. And... I mean, even my recovery itself, there was a huge amount of effort and visualization and people supporting me throughout this recovery that I don't think would have been possible without some pretty clear goals in mind. But then at the same time, it would be silly to the point of arrogance to claim that my recovery is like just because I wanted it more. And you worked hard. Yeah, yeah. but like and that would be absurd because there's lots of people that have similar spine injuries that are in wheelchairs and it would be I don't think it's accurate at all to say that like I just wanted it more than they did or yeah like that's or I just yeah. wanted to was more willing to put in that time or like that's that's obvious enough right there's some element there that's like chance or grace of God or stochastity yeah. or however you want to call it that's yeah. something's beyond my control and I think maybe part of my life design is um is having intentionality to be aware of opportunities like having in intention to be opportunistic kind of yeah and leveraging what opportunities there are yeah i think that it seems that that's actually a really common trait and people who i notice are really successful that there's like this combination of some initiative on their own but then also some being able to like recognize good luck when it comes their way yeah and, and, and being, yeah, being able to like set down the thing you're doing and being like that one seems like an opportunity worth chasing after like i'm going to pause this thing that also seems important and focus on this thing that seems like if I say no now, maybe that opportunity won't come around again. Yeah. Is there a specific example that you're thinking of that happened to you in that regard? Or have there been certain aspects of what you're doing now that are kind of a result of you following your nose in that way? Gosh, I feel like my entire life's kind of been that way. <laughs> That's like, not bad. I feel like for the, uh, I mean, one example that was formative for me was um, like in 2009, Went on a backpacking trip in Alaska with friends and coming home and posting pictures on the internet and posting this, this trip report that I didn't expect that many people, maybe some, you know, friends and acquaintances would be interested about like this big backpacking trip we'd done, but instead it just fully went viral and got like made it the front page of Reddit twice. What? And then because of that got invited to go ski with some pro skiers in Alaska the next year. And <laughs> and wrote a story about went on that trip and had never had anything published at that point and like took pictures and wrote a story and suddenly had like a feature in a ski magazine and like, it was like one door opening to the, next. to the next and like I don't like it that's so hard like you had to it's so hard to parse apart yeah. what part is initiative versus what right. part is like good just yeah good like fortune. good good fortune <laughs> yeah. it's just like well if I hadn't gone on this difficult kind of crazy backpacking trip with some friends then these other opportunities wouldn't have come along and certainly took a lot of planning and initiative to go to on that each. trip yeah but like I certainly wasn't ever wouldn't have ever <laughs> forecasted the sort of opportunities that came along because yeah. of it and I think maybe one really key piece of that pattern is the is the part where you put it out there in the world to communicate it to other people without really any expectations of a yeah. payoff yeah. that there's something about that no matter what the form of communication is or what the thing is that you're passionate about it's one thing to like be active in a thing that you're passionate about and there's this other layer on it of without much of an agenda just putting it out there in the world whether it's on social media or publishing your own zine or your own podcast or there's so many options now that, that seems like a really consistent theme in the people that I know who who have had been able to really craft their own sort of destiny yeah. especially work-wise is like at some point they're like, yeah, I never thought I'd get paid for this, but I just did it as a, <laughs> totally. whatever, I did it as a blog, I did it as a podcast, and then all of a sudden, two years later, I now all I do is this blog. Yeah. Like, Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. But maybe if that same person had set out from the very beginning without much of an established audience, but also was really hardline about like, this is what I do for work, I'm going to need to go get some advertisers yeah. and sponsors to fund this, that they might have been turned down probably a whole lot very early on without an awful lot of tenacity, it seems like there's something to, about like not being too attached about making money from it, especially early on. Yeah. That seems like it's often pays off in the long run. I think there's something in there, and I don't really know how to quantify that, but there there's definitely something to it. I was just having a conversation on the hike that I came from about like in 
in the dance that I do, there's levels that you can get. And it seems that when you try really hard, it never works out. Like you never make finals if you're trying so hard. But it's like when you like let go and have fun and you're connecting with your partner, like that's when the magic dance happens. And then all of a sudden you're in finals and somehow every now and then it's like, oh, that was a first place dance, you know? But it doesn't happen by like efforting your way there, you know? And I think that might be part of it too, is like you put in the work, like obviously you could even argue that like your whole education up to that backpacking trip, learning how to read and write, learning how to communicate your ideas, all those things became part of your toolkit so that when you ended that trip and you were writing the report, you did it in whatever way it was that it became very shareable. And, you know, everything leading up to that point was you, you know, quote unquote training, and then these opportunities started opening up. And because you're a capable person, you were able to, you know, take advantage of them. Because obviously, if they had invited you on that and you were a crap photographer or whatever, like these things wouldn't keep happening. Mm -hmm. So there's, I mean, you can, you can go both ways with that. But like the preparation that people do in private, obviously, fuels the, the public persona of whatever comes forth because you've been doing mm -hmm. the work. Yeah, I think that's very true for all creative any creative pursuit is like it's easy to look at somebody's Instagram and be like oh man how do they just like pull this yeah magical piece of creativity whatever it is <laughs> out of out of thin air but then the reality is there's often like thousands of hours so of many. effort behind that <laughs> that are harder to communicate over social media or that we like actively hide from each other right. so we make it seem also effortless because right. that's a sexier story than like <laughs> I've spent 20 years like yeah. cultivating this craft, which also I find that very sexy too. But like the whole, yeah, when when someone does it, it makes they make it look easy. It's usually because they've spent you know the 10,000 mm -hmm. hours or something behind the scenes. But that whole idea of overnight success, you know, mm -hmm. it's just not. Yeah. Well, another thing really that you're true. touching on, kind of in your description of like the level of attachment you try and cultivate in yourself with dance is yeah. like this like I don't know sort of like non-attachment kind of attachment. Right. It's not that you don't care. You're just not going to make the your placing in a competition isn't necessarily the first goal no or, it's you not know, like where i drive merit yeah for or there's some it's like one of those like paradoxical things like if placing first at a dance competition is your main motivation that that is pretty much all by itself going to sabotage right? the chances of, <laughs> of that even being a yeah. possibility yeah and the only people who ever do win are the people who are like have the most fluid routine and look like they're having the most fun and convey the most energy and those people are not in their heads hung up about what their score is while it's happening they're mm -hmm. they're okay. mentally somewhere else they're maybe in a very like more playful state yeah. of mind and i think one of the one of like the necessities for an activity to feel like play at least for me is to not feel totally attached to the outcome yeah like i've never really enjoyed major league sports of any kind always seemed kind of dumb to me <laughs> i just have very low locations for them for, like through all of life and I'm sorry, sports fans. I like participating in these things. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like watching NFL, I'm like, oh man, that's like the <laughs> not a way that even ranks in the top 50 ways of way like of how I want to spend a Sunday. Right. Um, <laughs> and part of that, I think, is that like it never felt like play to me. Like, like yeah, we call it a football game, but there is such a clear agenda and like paychecks on the line, and you don't not gonna get the bonus, and you don't win this thing, and it's yeah. like like it is not. It doesn't really count as play. Like maybe it's a game, but it's not. A very playful one. There's and a even, lot of strings attached. Yeah, and I feel like even I see that in my own life where things that I start to take to start to feel real attached and outcome, it takes it's harder and harder to like focus my energy and motivation on those things. And it's a lot easier, and it's a lot when things feel more playful and I'm like less attached to an outcome. Yeah, and they just it like flows. It's like you can yeah. do so much more work when you're actually in that state versus I need to like get this deadline, yeah. do this, get this done. Like one of my old ski and hiking and mountain biking partners and old housemate Grant and I would always talk about. We'd always like, re like especially when it was a some aspect, like really arduous or grueling backpacking trip or ski mission or whatever. We would um, always refer to it as somehow being a training mission for whatever the next thing was. Totally. So it was like, oh man, this like getting to the summit is not really the goal. The goal here is training for this thing that you want to do a month from now. Yeah. But it was kind of like this like wink wink like knew that we were sort of fooling ourselves yeah. but there's something that's kind of fun about being like oh no this is just all of the skiing is a training for mountain bike season right and all this mountain biking <laughs> is really just practice for like ski season <laughs> and that none of it is like oh this isn't really this the, isn't goal. the goal and somehow that allows you to detach from having as many expectations or something it allows it to just yeah. be enjoyable for whatever it is yeah and i mean 
with all of this, like especially because the towns that we both live in are very sports, like outdoor sport mm-hmm. focused. And I also came up came from the Midwest where it's more like, at least in that chapter of our lives, it was like school and shopping malls and <laughs> Midwestern like suburbia. But um, there's definitely like a mentality here that I've, I appreciate, I can see the darker sides of it too, but the idea that like, even if you arrive, quote unquote, like even if you are the best skier or if I were the best dancer or whatever, I mean, in order to maintain that, you still have to do the work. Like, it's not gonna just, you don't just get there and you're like, well, I'm done, I'm the best, thanks. This mm-hmm. was great. That's, I was just thinking about that with like, okay, the next level that I achieve in dance, that doesn't mean I'm done. It doesn't mean that I can now stop practicing. Like, I still wanna be getting better. I still wanna be placing at that level too. So it really doesn't matter if I get this win or the next win, because my trajectory, I want to continue to improve and those wins will soon enough be inevitable. Mm-hmm. And so like, the stronger we get, the more sports we do, the more mountain biking we do, the better our skiing will be, and then the skiing will get better, and then that'll elevate our mountain biking. Like it's, it's like we're just wanting to gain altitude physically and <laughs> mentally, mm-hmm. um, and to then like release the pressure of like hitting certain milestones because you just know progress is inevitable. Like I kind of like that idea better than being like I need to hit this certain milestone and whatever. It's like, okay, maybe I hit that milestone a little later on my time chart, but I'm still gonna hit it because I'm not gonna stop growing, and mm-hmm. that growth mindset is what kind of propels. Yeah, like last summer I was training for a bike trip and every hill that I did here or every, you know, pass, fail pass or Montezuma or whatever, it's like, okay, this is just a training for that trip. Then I got to the trip and the trip was hard. I was like, oh, but these hills are training for when I go home and I want to do this all the time. (laughs) And so now I think about it too, like when I have like a hard emotional situation, I'm like, this is just a hill. This is preparing me for, you know, whatever I can't see coming down the light, like the pipeline of my life you know, and that will be training me for something else, you know, and to have that kind of onward going, mm-hmm. like the, the idea of arriving that stagnancy, I think can truncate a lot of people's trajectories. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if you kind of like zoom out, I like that perspective too, because it's not like, okay, just making it through the recovery for you is not like the end goal. It's like, how do I live my life? How do I create practices that you can maintain? It's not just about like arriving per se. Yeah, like I feel like in my life I've pushed back against the idea that I need to delay enjoyment until later in life. Like that, there was a I had like a midlife crisis moment when I was when I was like eighteen and looking at <laughs> looking at like colleges, like early life. Crisis. Yeah, it was like this quarter life crisis, and I was on this very midwestern like academic track, and I remember being like having these like fantasies about living someplace where I could go. Like my family, I didn't grow up skiing, but I really. I think I first went skiing when I was a freshman year, a freshman in high school with a, a friend. My parents, it wasn't a thing they were, um, that ever had the chance to participate in. But I tried it and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But growing up in Ohio, there just isn't much opportunity. So then through high school, I was just on my mind more and more that I think I want to live someplace that's more outdoorsy and more live more connected to these mountains that I've never had so little experience with, but I think I really yeah. gravitate towards them. And this conversation with my mom, who is a wonderful, wonderful, person one with her mother this conversation she was like she's like yeah you can have all that stuff Jim you just like you just focus on you know your goals and you can retire when you're 55 and then you can move to wherever you want and you will have the whole rest of your life to go play and I remember being like 18 and being like oh my god if that is my future I'm gonna go shoot myself in the head because I don't like so I have to write off everything from now yeah I think the part of it was like this mindset of like, okay, so I'm gonna work real hard in high school and it's not gonna be that fun, but then I'm gonna get like these good grades and that's gonna lead to this the college experience and then I can be happy. And then I was kind of on like yeah. on the cusp of that and just like, oh, this isn't this isn't what happiness is gonna look like. This is gonna be way more work than high school was. Yeah. But you know what? Once I get through this, then life will like kind of all gel and come together. And once I graduate college, then life's going to be happy. And I'm like, oh, right. But then it turns out I'm probably going to want to go to grad school to really pursue and like these things that I think I'm interested in. And I was like, well, well, maybe after grad school, then like that, that's when I can be happy. (laughs) Finally, then. And then my mom be like, well, no, yeah, but then you're gonna have to work actually a lot for decades and be like, oh my God. So 55, that's when I get to be happy. And so I feel like I made this big moved to Montana from Ohio <laughs> and really enjoyed the time there. But then there's this deep irony, at least to me, where I feel like I kind of like took that same mindset of like looking at happiness and satisfaction as being something like this dangling carrot in the future for yeah. like, when I achieve this goal, right. then I can be happy. I mean, it's a hard mindset to avoid in our culture because yeah. 
our entire economy is built off of that. All every bit of marketing and advertising yep. out there is like, cool. If you get this hair product, then think how silky and awesome <laughs> it will be to oh, shake your so your whatever your <laughs> your hair your Vidal Sassoon hair around and <laughs> like or you know. Think about if you save up for this car, just think how awesome life will be right. when you can finally have this thing you can put the top down on. Or what, every piece of advertising every that way, our entirely academic thing. system is set up that That's way. True. Like if you get the good grades, if you get this you're test doctor, score, if you're, yeah. yeah, if you do this, if then, then you can feel good about it when you get the report card. And of course, one thing that's so easy to notice with consumerism stuff is how fleeting that happiness is. It is pretty exciting when you anticipate and save up for a thing and get the thing. Yeah. But then at least for me, it's like it's so like short. Yeah. Like, like saving up for the thing, really exciting and like kind of anxious. And then you actually get the thing and you're like, eh, yeah. whatever, it's just a thing. It turns out like I got bored of it after an hour or I've just yeah. gotten really like this laptop that I was so excited to buy and read all the internet reviews and found the very best price and then waited for it to arrive in the mail and now it's here and I'm like, oh, it's just a laptop. Like, yeah. This is exciting for like an hour. Now I'm just gonna like, look at Facebook. Like, oh. <laughs> and it looks just and, like my other laptop. <laughs> yeah. Facebook looks identical. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's placing our, our source of happiness on external physical material items that like, obviously that's not gonna be lasting. Yeah. But even still, like working towards my first book and like pushing publish on the first book and then I'm sitting in like, my friend's house in Seattle, and I was like, my book's done. I mean, technically, I, I did a lot more work on it later, but. Congratulations. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, but it was like, what do I do? And like, the only thing I could think of was, I should probably go shower. Like, I hadn't showered in several days. <laughs> that was my like, reward for finishing the book. But it is, I think part of it is like who you become in the process. That's why goals are interesting. That's why, like, you know, worthwhile pursuits are so much more dynamic. It's like, oh, it's like calling out a higher version of ourselves, not like getting this item. And maybe that's that does make sense for like the educational system like yeah you've done all this work you are this person who's achieved all of this but at the same time it's like okay but where like are we putting off happiness further and further down the line is it just going to be one more trajectory or um like a course i went to they had us rephrase like not i'll be successful when it's or if it's i'll be successful when and you, you kind of phrase it like anytime i do this then that equals success and you create a lot of rules for you to be successful so that or so that you can be successful more often than one rule like i'll be successful when my book is published that's one thing that's very narrow it's like okay what if your book never gets published what if you know what if i never become an all-star dancer what if but if i'm successful every time i practice i'm successful every time i learn something new i'm successful and you like just create all these rules to make it so that you are successful so much more of the time than placed on like one moment in the future. Yeah, especially when in those examples you're just giving, if the rules you're making to your success self are that you feel successful when you do things that you have control over versus yeah. external. I'm not even sure what the logistics of self-publishing are, but I imagine there's a lot of publishing involved other players and other people buying into your ideas and your and your work and that the less dependent your version of successes on other people's yeah. roles the more empowered you are to like influence whether or not you get to feel successful yeah yeah there's like the, and another piece of that is like you seem like a person who pursues things because like like dance and like writing because there's enjoyment of the process even if it can feel very arduous yeah. and even if <laughs> dancing feel like you're just messing up everything the routine again and again <laughs> or the incredible frustration of you know writer's block and of that of feeling so stuck and despite those challenges, still being able to somehow find a way to enjoy that. And I feel yeah. like in mountain culture and outdoor culture, we talk about like type two fun. fun. <laughs> and that is exactly what it's it is. So it's like, can you learn to do, enjoy yeah. this thing? It's like, it not actually that enjoyable. No. <laughs> and that seems like there's like some- There's definitely parallels. So, yeah, there's some magic to that. <laughs> but if you can make make something playful that's yeah. that is otherwise feels not that fun, yeah. then, then maybe like, a key to life happiness or to feeling like you just have a satisfying life is to bring that to more and more areas of your life. Yeah. Like, can I wash the dishes and have this be like a, good time. a fun challenge? Yeah. Like, I enjoy doing this because I have to do this shit. Like, and if I am real resentful about having to do all these things I don't want to do, then that means the majority of my life is going to be me <laughs> feeling that way and versus like, like maybe we do have huge agency to choose how I want to spend our free time, whether that's, you know, art or climbing mountains or writing books or dance. Yeah. But the, there's also huge amounts of life where we kind of finished writing a book and had to go take a shower. And 
Mm-hmm. Maybe in that moment, it seems like a comically small reward for a really big <laughs> monumental task. At the same time, like if something that's this is daily or weekly routine called showering, <laughs> depending on your <laughs> practice. On this, like, yeah, this routine that could be like, oh, shower, God. <laughs> There's another like 20 minutes of my life that I don't get to choose what to do. You're like, no, this is actually gonna feel really nice and refreshing, and I get to the best part of my day. Take a deep breath, and yeah, yeah, that becomes a reward. Then, and if the commute to work becomes a reward, and if all those things become a reward, then it seems people who see their their lives that way have very rewarding lives. Funny enough, yeah, I was I was having almost the exact same train of thought because I was like, I do laundry again. I was like, really, if I spend my whole life hating laundry. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to hate a good portion of my life because laundry is always going to have to happen. <laughs> so I have to find a way to either enjoy this or appreciate it or something. And really what I think about now is I'm like, I have a laundry machine that I'm going to treat as my assistant. My assistant does all the wash for me. So I put the wash in there and then I'm delegating the work to them. And all I have to do is fold it later. And that's great. So to me, I'm like, oh, great. So laundry is something I can delegate to the washing machine. Because I don't know if you've ever done hand washing in the sink at hotels, but I'm glad I don't have to do that all the time. Yeah. Or in a stream or wherever. Yeah, which yeah. I do I'm trying to wash things in streams. It doesn't. It's not as good. Mm-hmm. It's freezing like, usually, too. <laughs> At least up here. Yeah. These pants that haven't been washed in a month are still really filthy. They smell not as wet, wet and filthy. <laughs> it's amazing. And now, a quick break for a message from today's sponsor. Our thought from the day comes from Alexander Greer of the 2019 new National Leadership Council. Does it ever seem like what you want to achieve will take too long? Think about turtles. We've all heard the story of the turtle and the hare. And while the lesson from that story is, slow and steady wins the race, sometimes winning isn't part of the path. Something to think about is the idea that slow and steady will still get you across the finish line, no matter how long it takes. In the book, The Student Leadership Challenge, Five Practices for Becoming an Exemplary Leader, it says, Pursuing a worthwhile change matters, not how long it will take to make the change. Thanks for that inspiring message today, Alexander. Well, that was another thing, another quick tangent. Oh, I was talking with a friend about relationships, and she was kind of struggling in her relationship with her significant other. I was like, ultimately, like, she can't really talk to him right now because of the work that he's doing, so she's by herself a lot. And it was basically just the conversation about like, okay, well, seeing as you can't like actively work on this with him, your one choice is to, well, you have a few choices. One is to like get down into it and just like cry a lot and be worried about it and all the things that we can do sometimes, especially as women. And the other choice was like, this is an awesome opportunity to not only work on yourself, but regardless of if that, if this relationship works or not, you have to be with you for the rest of your life. So how are you going to make your relationship with yourself even better? Whether or not you want to get married or you're going to or whatever happens, you're going to be with you. That's a given. So do you like it or not? And how can you work on that? And do you actually enjoy being with yourself? Which I think was something she hadn't really thought about before because she's been more focused on other people in a good way, but to the detriment of of her own relationship with herself. So Yeah, gosh, maybe all the places in life where it's easy to count on an external circumstance for your happiness. It seems like relationships are the biggest one. Right? Where it's like, oh, my partner's not satisfying me for in this way or for these reasons. Yeah. I think that kind of creates inherently unstable relationships when it's just like, well, it's, it's neediness is one way to look at it. Yeah. Of like, I need you to validate me in whatever <laughs> these ways are. And if that's not happening, I don't have a way to get this from within myself. And so, so I'm going to be resentful or I'm yeah, going to be whatever. Or I'm going to act out or I'm going to somehow so I can get this attention, this validation, whatever things it is I'm looking for from this relationship. And that counting on, and I mean, the definition of codependency is two people who are looking for those things from each other. Yeah. But then that's also sort of the paradigm for most of our romantic relationships in life. Yeah. Or like this, like, oh, I'm counting on you to... Fill all these voids. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To like, yeah, be this like magic things that fills all these shortcomings in my life and the... And that's not going to be the case. Like, it doesn't seem like it works out that well for most no. people. Well, I, and like, like it ties back into the, you know, letting go of expectations or like detaching from that outcome to think, you know, if marriage is the key to happiness or I'll be happy when I have a partner or mm-hmm. I'll be happy when I have this kind of partner. Um, you know, if you're in a relationship and you're like, well, I can find someone better. But like, it's all externally based. And the more we place our happiness outside of ourselves, the more I think we're going to be disappointed. And it's not necessarily to be like lone wolf syndrome, like I'll just make myself happy for the rest of my life, blah, blah, blah. But to to just place the like metric 
somewhere that's more reliable. Because like the people who are like, oh, I'll be happy when I lose this many pounds. Like, well, how about when you like take care of yourself? How about every time you make a healthy food decision? How about you'll be happy when you actually look in the mirror and just like who you see? You know, like those are metrics we can control. Those are metrics that can happen like now versus in some time, maybe hopefully in the future. And I've been thinking about that too with relationships. Like even if you do get married, like you can feel just as lonely. You can feel just as upset or more <laughs> when there's someone else. It seems to like magnify the frustration sometimes. And it's like, how about I just focus on appreciating the companionship around me already or, you know, finding other ways to appreciate that. And then when I'm in a marriage or if I'm in a marriage, like great, but I'm not going to expect that to be everything for myself. Yeah. I mean, if right now if, as a single person, you felt lonely, but you have an expectation that once you're married, that that's going to be the solution to your loneliness. Right. And then it turns out that's absolutely not true. Loneliness is just going to seem so much more magnified and so much more like your little mental model for my little <laughs> mental model for how the world is going to work doesn't match up to how no. the world is actually working. And it turns out I was lonely before and my loneliness level didn't really change that much with having a relationship status that somehow is like the step, you know, the status changes a name only maybe. Yeah. And like that there's no actual change in my level of disconnection from other people or from the world around me. And like, man, that's going to feel so much more disheartening though. Cause now I have this expectation that right. this relationship should be curing me of this thing that it has no ability to cure me of. Mm -mm. And that's going to feel really upsetting. <laughs> and that's when you realize it's not like the common denominator wasn't the loneliness or, you know, the fact that there wasn't someone and now there is, it's that, it's you and so like you get to work on that hopefully that's not too harsh yeah no, but like, I don't, there's all like these i mean but then there's like all these paradoxes with things like that also like where if you feel lonely and the solutions to that seem like one to like find somebody to be codependent with right or two to cultivate <laughs> independence and be like alone but okay with it it seems like if you go for that second option and do start doing all sorts of self-care things so yeah. you feel less lonely by yourself it seems like those that's the moment that like you attract somebody attract a love interest or right. someone's like oh my gosh look at this person they seem so fit and happy and sexy and intelligent and connected with themselves and these are all really attractive qualities yeah. and yeah there's some there's something weird and paradoxical about that like i feel like i can see that one thing i wrestled with my own with my spine injury and recovery is the sort of attachment versus non-attachment of rehab things oh. of like if I set my expectation that my life is going to go back to being the way that it was before this accident yeah I'm gonna set myself up for disappointment because that's probably not realistic that I'm ne probably never gonna have the athleticism that I had before and that life is going to be different but at the same time if I really totally buy into that idea that like that everything before is gone and this injury is something irreversible then I'm not going to have much of a recovery. So it's just, it feels like this weird, delicate balance yeah. of like monitoring myself to be not be too invested <laughs> to like my source of happiness and satisfaction can't come from what it should from look like. like rehab. At the same time, every little bit of like physicality I get back really does enhance my enjoyment of life. Yeah. Like mostly more from the things that it enables than from whatever, being able to like jump four inches high versus not being able to jump at all. Maybe it doesn't have much of a functional difference in my life, but maybe- <laughs> You don't jump everywhere now? <laughs> it makes a difference for things like, like being able to like jump a little bit and not land with like knees totally locked out. Yeah. Like being able to do that a little bit on dry ground makes it possible for me to be on a mountain bike and, right. and like absorb bumps and things without my knees just like automatically locking themselves out. Yeah. And being like, okay, I was actually like, there's some like my mountain biking's a lot, I can ride a lot faster. I can keep with friends better if I can like ride off of a curb while cruising along without feeling like my all my limbs are gonna <laughs> jam into hyperextension the moment I'm weightless. Like, Goodness. like that doesn't sound, that's not gonna work. Like I have to ride really slowly when that, I could ride faster as my legs yeah. stopped doing that. Yeah, um, and more smoothly. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like mountain biking's never gonna be like it was before. I used to ride like skate perks and dirt jumps, and I don't think that's probably in my future. <laughs> well, that's the thing, like, do you wanna say that? Or, I mean, like, yeah, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy by saying that? Or is it like, yeah, I'm looking at it visually, like, okay, you were on this one trajectory, and then there was this, you know, blip on that trajectory, and now you're on a different trajectory, but maybe, it's not that you return to normalcy, but you pave like a whole new like option mm -hmm. C. Yeah, no, that's definitely. It. I mean, talk about like with other people with similar accidents. Like you use the phrase "the new normal." Yeah. Pretty often. Yeah. And it's probably like any anybody who's had any kind of a big life crisis probably yeah. knows that feeling of like, "Cool, this is how it used to be," and then there was this losing a loved one or a 
injury or an illness or even just a job change you'd be like and that's not how we do things anymore mm -hmm. and now it's different and that's I miss those days but where we are now is okay too yeah and I and part of it is I mean I was having a similar conversation about like the mental strength that happens when those calamities happen where like something I mean in your case like not necessarily knowing what it would take to get through a recovery um, and maybe not even sure if you had the mental fortitude I don't know how you even felt like looking into that landscape but like when my mom passed on it was like I don't know if I can handle this but I've seen other people handle death and I assume it's similar and like finding the strength just like moment to moment at the very beginning especially and then over time it's like day by day and then week by week and then you get through it and somehow you're like how did I even I didn't think I had that reserve of strength but somehow through that process you create it and so I think part of that too is like that new normal is also available because we forged the strength during the process it's like on the job training I don't know I mean it depends too I haven't been faced with like a totally life-altering physical change for myself and so part of me doesn't know if I'd be like I got this or if I'd be like shoot <laughs> well that was fun I think I'll just hang out in bed for a while I don't even know like how did you look into I don't know what they, the prognosis was specifically of like you'll never walk again or yeah I mean I think you I think a really key point that you're making is that I mean, it's something I hear, I've heard a lot, like, oh, I don't think I could... Can't do what you just did, or... Yeah, but I think, but it's also, with all sorts of life calamities, like, none of us really know how to react until we're in it. In, in it. Yeah. But maybe there's a lot of other smaller situations in life that um, condition you to be emotionally and intellectually capable to handle your mom's, your mom's passing. Yeah, and, and all that, of you, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's like, done. it's like some serenity prayer stuff, right? Like, we're being able to focus on sort of the moment to moment keeping it together and it is such a crucial skill like I think that's with any kind of really big goal or really big problem in life it's so overwhelming to look at the big picture yeah. that um that things seem impossible like imagine like learning a language like I like, learn a language like oh my god it's like <laughs> thousands and thousands of words and there's dialects and like that seems it just seems so daunting but then you're like cool like we're just gonna learn like two words yeah and tomorrow we're going to learn two tough. more words and then you can parse a really big problem into a really small one and just concentrate on the moment to moment part whether it's like just getting through today or in my case it's like well can I I can wiggle one toe I could wiggle for weeks after my accident I could wiggle one toe on one foot but that was it and it was like well can I wiggle anything on my other foot and like kept trying until until something happened and then yeah. you also watch that a lot of people um, I was in the hospital with just get got pulled really immediately into really deep depression it seemed to me that a lot of that often centered for people around some really big questions about what the rest of their life would look like, where there was zero satisfying answers from doctors or from anybody gone through similar things. Like there's just no good answers. Well, I, you know, will will I walk again? Won't I walk again? And that medically, there's just like no one knows. Yeah. And having this huge, almost insurmountable sized goal with no real clear indication you can do it. Is such an intimidating and anxious thing. A lot of people just stuck on a in a big picture view that feels too intimidating, too daunting, don't know where to start. And that once I do just like pick some little itty bitty facet of it and learn two new words of a language, it's just, it's a developed skill, I think, to be able to parse a really big yeah. thing down. Yeah. Like you must have to do that with um, dance routines, you know, where it's mm -hmm. like, cool, you don't have to memorize a whole routine. No. You're just gonna memorize some like little, yes, like these couple steps, yeah. these couple moves, this thing, we're gonna rehearse that, I'm gonna add to that. and. Yeah. And that, that seems like the only way to tackle big problems in life. And yeah. having the sort of, um, being able to break a big problem into small ones is a huge asset for dealing with all kinds of life stuff. And that not being able to do that is a huge hindrance and, yeah. and gets people, gets us all stuck at times. Oh yeah, I definitely, like working on my second book now, I've definitely hit that multiple times where it just seems like insurmountable the amount of work that it will take to finally get mm -hmm. to, the done, to the done mark, <laughs> to be finished. And uh, and I did a 14-year last week. And when you're standing at the bottom, you can't even like see the top most times, or you think you see the top, and then it turns out it's like another 800 feet. And I just remember thinking, like, anytime I'm hiking, I'm like, it's just a step. Like, I'm just taking one step at a time, literally. And somehow that gets me to the top. And usually, like, if you start early, you're there before lunch. Like, it just, <laughs> it's just amazing, like, what you can do before lunch if you actually just focus and, like, keep going even with breaks and with all the things, like if that's my only job to do today to get to the top of this mountain, like I can get there. It just might take a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard friends who write speak about book writing as being such 
identical to that. It You're like, you don't is. have to write a book. You just have to write one page for 300 different days. Yeah. And if and you spend like, good. like write one page a day for 300 days, then you're writing like a book a year. <laughs> Which seems like, like a huge deal. Yeah. <laughs> but it's... You're like, oh, well, like, yeah, writing 300 pages seems insurmountable. That's... Writing one page is like, yeah, I can imagine. I have done that. I can, I can write a page. Yeah. And it's so true. But when I think about like all the things I have to do, it's like, I don't even want to start. It's so big. But when I'm like, okay, I'll just read through this one chapter and edit like the first little bit. Mm. Okay, I can do that. And I'll like set my timer and just make myself sit there and not look at my phone and not do anything else, but just be there present for 45 minutes sometimes. Or even sometimes I'm like, I only have like 15 minutes of actual attention. And then I'll get into the 15 and then I'll end up doing a little bit more, of course. But man, it can be, it's hard. It's worthwhile. It's more fun than not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's the type two fun where it's like, this sucks, but I'm really happy. Like, I really like this. <laughs> and maybe it's finding that like within, like, where's the area of life that you don't care if it sucks, like you're still happy. Or it's like, what area of your life are you most willing to go through the suck? Mm, okay. And still choose it. And I think that could also be the same for like, what person do you want to go through life with and like have the suck, but embrace the suck? And then be with that person. How do you see that in your own life? What, what areas do you, are you most tenacious I mean, I, or resilient or whatever those qualities are? I think, I mean, dancing and writing would be the top two. Like, if I had known when I started dancing eight years ago, specifically, all the time, I don't know if I would have not done it, but it might have probably made me question, like, do I really want to sign up for that? I thought I was going to be a lot farther ahead than I am now. I guess I'll put it that way, yeah. But I'm here. And like, I wish I had started when I was, you know, like 17, 18 in this dance, but I didn't find it till I was like, I don't know, however many years ago, 24. I was like, I can't change that. So I might as well just use the time that I have. But if I like some of the champions who started when they were like six years old or four years old, of course they're amazing because they've spent the time and they started early. But it's like, I can't get that time back. That's not really a good option. <laughs> and there are people who are just picking it up at like 50, 60 years old. You know, of course they probably wish they had started earlier. So mm -hmm. I'm like, I should just appreciate that I have started when I did and continue going but yeah I don't know what about you yeah I think I feel like my self-identity was so tied to like outdoor stuff yeah. for quite a while and then post a spine injury I had like this very obvious new mission which was rehab without yeah. even having to think about self-identity or what I wanted out of life it was like I need to Get prioritize better. this recovery whatever however I can do this but then as time goes on that recovery slows and more an effort for less smaller, just, smaller yeah. gains and that became pretty obvious it's like well, that's not gonna be a sustainable way to like feel a sense of satisfaction in life if my satisfaction is linked to the amount of strength I'm gaining and that strength is changing less and less as time goes on and I'm gonna feel less and less satisfaction yeah. from the effort I put into it and there's just not a, a sustainable way to, to be seeking that so like kind of sent me on a search and trying to figure out what it was, trying to figure out why I liked, what it was I liked about some of the things I've enjoyed so much before. And there are yeah. things like skiing that played such a multifaceted role in my life where it was a thing I did for fun, where it was like, you know, skinning uphill and kind of having the type two aerobic exercise. And then this like weightless, just pure joy, flow state in the moment, feeling of skiing powder on the way down. But then there's like all these other layers on it. Like it was my income and my source of validation and have long conversations with friends on the way up. And um, most of my friendships were based on doing on things outside together. Just like the feelings of connecting with the natural world or using all of my senses to try and make good decisions in avalanche terrain and things yeah. like that. Kind of all these incentives we have in those situations to be really tuned into what's going around us yeah. and really like a very practical reason to be very present. Yes. And, and problem solving and Yeah, and, and really yeah. one thing that I realized was that so many aspects of backcountry skiing were really kind of um, pushed me to be to be very present in ways that normal town life doesn't yeah. challenge me in that same in those same <laughs> ways very often. Yeah. Or I don't challenge I have to work to see that it is a challenge for me. Or it doesn't but call to, that out of you. Like, yeah, it's, but what sort of trying to like, backwards engineer that is yeah. a crazy thing. And but one of, so the revelations I had in that one book that's been really seminal for me was um, uh, there's this Hungarian psychologist who did a lot of research and based in Chicago for decades named Mihai, Csikszentmihalyi, and he wrote a book called Flow, 
was wondering about that. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. so like he he's like yeah. starts making these criteria for like what like what is this mind state where you get really involved in the task that we're doing is so we kind of lose our sense of self. We like you know time, we yeah. lose our sense of time, and that pretty much all of our brain resources are being pushed into making these very rapid decisions around the activity that we're doing, and for reasons that are maybe even harder to explain it's a really fulfilling fulfilling kind of state to be in and i don't think that flow state is necessary i don't think being i don't think it's necessarily fun or playful on its own like it's just very focused but there's something about that sort of focus yeah. that afterwards after you kind of have to like come back out of that yeah. it feels really rewarding and it doesn't seem like it matters what you do in life that just like people find that through if you can think of an activity, somebody out there right. like totally taps into the universe that way. Yes. And which is a really empowering idea that like, oh man, it doesn't like skiing has been a thing that's checked a lot of boxes for me in the yeah. past, but that doesn't mean that I can't feel those things in the future through different activities. I can have that same sense sense of adventure and challenge and accomplishment and same sense of flow through other other areas of life. Yeah. But then actually functionally moving my skills and psychology to be able to have those things through the activities is, is, I don't know, still a thing I'm working towards, I guess. Yeah. But I like that you've, you've verbalized it. You've kind of figured out, okay, this rubric works for me in that way. And then how can I find activities that call that mm -hmm. out of me too? Because it's, it's totally doable. I mean, mm -hmm. like we all have access to so many different, like that flow state in so many different ways, you know? And there's, there are times when like, I didn't even know flow state could happen <laughs> in different situations and all of a sudden I was like, oh, and it, it might not even be that you love that activity, it's that you love being in that state and that yeah. activity happens to bring that. Yeah, I mean, kind of some of the most baseline criteria are that, that you need an activity that challenges you. Mm -hmm. You need to have, um, you need to have like some knowledge and tools and skills around that activity to begin with. Like it can't be a total beginner. It takes like maybe a intermediate level knowledge and that once you kind of have an intermediate expertise and a challenging activity and then you just need some way to get um, clear and immediate feedback. Mm -hmm. And that kind of with that combination, all of a sudden this thing that maybe you're pretty mediocre at, but all of a sudden you're really engaged, engaged and, yeah. and invested in chipping away at this thing that you're, whether it's coming into dance later than some people and yeah. decades before others, is like a good example of like, we're learning a new language. You're like, oh man, like there are people who are, I'm trying to learn this language. And there are people my age writing great literary works in this language who are younger than me, but that shouldn't be a reason I get discouraged from learning this language because right. I'm probably never going to be a literary master in it. But there is some kind of like, at the same time, languages are so frustrating because I feel like the, ba <laughs> like, like the baseline before you can even have an intermediate skill is pretty high. Like you have to invest a lot of time and effort, or at least I do, before I feel like I can even function. be like, well, yeah, be like mediocre functionality. Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, the last few questions that I always ask. So, who inspires you? Who or what inspires you these days? I listen to a lot of podcasts because there's so many, it's such a crazy format for like really <laughs> intense conversations between really intelligent people. I don't even know that. I notice there's like some activities where I can multitask better than others. Mm -hmm. Like I can't write emails and listen to a podcast. Like I do okay at the emails, but then I have like no idea what I've listened to. Like maybe it yeah. registers some in some part of my brain, but definitely not the conscious part that can like <laughs> recount any of it. Yeah. Um, versus other activities that, like I used to really resent driving in general and tried to like minimize it in my life <laughs> in all kinds of ways. And now it's, I don't know, it plays a bigger role just by necessity, but um, I found that to be a really good time to listen to things. And I can mm -hmm. totally drive for hours and just digest my way through a couple different podcasts and these kind of heady and heavy conversations where if I try to do that in a different context I'd probably be distracted by other things but somehow like driving is just the right amount of that's true external <laughs> effort to yeah. like really yeah so I think that's a big source of, of cool. inspiration and this is going to sound real conceited but I think kind of my main source of inspiration has kind of been a big motivator for me for the last couple of years is about trying to better understand myself and so I think a lot of the concerns or interests I have in other in in podcasts or in literature or in like long conversations with friends have been a lot of that's kind of centered around like me trying to figure myself out well that's not conceited it's it's a worthwhile pursuit and so that's <laughs> yes like the kind of motivation and driver for all yeah. sorts of interests has been like trying to pull back some of the curtains on my own modes of thinking and how I handle things or don't handle things yeah. and <laughs> well there's I mean 
what's great is there's never going to be, it's a bottomless pit for all of us. Like there's so much to learn. And the more you like, the more distinctions you find, the more you can like tie things together and get new distinctions from that. Like it's just like ever compounding understanding. So that's going to be a great pursuit. You'll be very well employed in that regard. Yeah, but it totally pushes against my Midwestern sensibilities of being somewhat self-effacing. I'm like, what inspires me? Well, I inspire me. <laughs> like, no, that's ridiculous. I just look in the mirror and I think, wow, oh, look what oh. I've done. <laughs> I'm ready to carpe diem. Um, no, no, it's not, yeah. Maybe it's the opportunity like, to learn more within yourself, which isn't necessarily like you inspire yourself. It's like the places you haven't explored yet. Yeah, it's like, I think I kind of have a pretty deep-rooted curiosity about the world, and that has often played out with being like, how can I unlock the secrets of getting to this difficult to walk to place or yeah. like how can we like go ski off this dangerous thing that maybe is only a safe place to be a couple days in a given year and like kind of line up kind of figure out what all the conditions and enough of the hazards are to be able to do this safely and to identify the right moments when like you know to unlock this rubik's cube of yeah things but i feel like some of that is just i don't know it's turned more more introspective in the last couple of years i think yeah yeah understandably but it's still, you're finding that same kind of element of puzzle, figuring things out and then just applying it to different areas. Like you were saying, with things you love about skiing, finding it in other ways. Mm -hmm. It's just the same pattern. Yeah, so yeah, I think trying to figure out what makes me tick has been a big yeah. common denominator inspiration for me. Yeah. Having said that, there's like a million different athletes and thinkers and writers and people, Instagram personalities and stuff who are putting things out there that get me charged up and send me down different paths all the time. Yeah, yeah, there's so much. Yeah, there's a lot of, we have a lot of access to information these days. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just like, I want to read everything. And then reality is we yeah, mm -hmm. wouldn't have time in many lifetimes if we could. But yeah, it's, at least we have enough content if we <laughs> look for it. <laughs> what are your, what are your sources of inspiration? Um, yeah, I would say I'm on a similar, there's inspiration everywhere on Instagram. <laughs> well, it depends on how you look at it, too. It can be very, like, disheartening to be like, look at all these amazing mm. achievers, and like, look what I'm doing, blah. But if I am more positively minded, I'm like, wow, it's just, like, humanity is amazing. All these things are amazing, and books, and podcasts, and people, and um, sometimes I just, like, even hiking last week, I'm like, I'm amazed that my feet have been with me literally every step of the way. They complain sometimes, but they've been there, like, or my heart, like, thank you. <laughs> like, it's been going nonstop since you know since before i was the little things I'm like if i get tired i should just like think about my heart like goes all the time <laughs> and i'd be like okay i can do this but i don't know i just i find inspiration some really weird that's a good answer though i mean that's i mean i could be inspired by a chair like it's ridiculous <laughs> um what are you most grateful for today I'm like most grateful for the opportunity to like wake up breathing and to be alive and to be face to face with all these mysteries, huge and small. And that despite all the uncomfortable aspects of life, there's this <laughs> like huge amount of awe to be experienced in life, I think. Yeah, that's very true. Sometimes it just hits me, that feeling of awe. And sometimes I like, oftentimes I'm like positioning myself to find it, yeah. I guess. Like you went on a hike today to a really notoriously gorgeous place, yeah. and it's notoriously gorgeous because of the people get there and be like, "This is awesome! <laughs> like this is like this. There's more beauty and complexity in this scene in front of me, and my brain knows what to do with it. I yeah. kind of feel this overwhelming, <laughs> really delicious feeling, and I think I want to have that again. <laughs> but then it turns out we seem like we get desensitized to that pretty quickly. Yeah. So maybe you hang out at that really cool spot for an hour, and after an hour doesn't elicit like, quite the same feeling it did when you first got there. Yeah. Or maybe it just shifts and changes and gets more nuanced or yeah. not. Yeah, so that seeking that is like often a priority in my life. That's really cool. The awe. And then you remember that the word awesome has awe in it. Are there any programs or things that you're working on that you'd like to do a shout out to? Craig Hospital and High Fives Foundation have both been instrumental in my recovery. Yeah, that's yeah. a good team. Yeah, yeah, that's been huge, I think. And I'm, I haven't really prepped you on this or other, anything, but what would you say is your definition of living your dance? I think to me, like living my dance, 
means something along the lines of trying to understand what makes me tick and then trying to foster more of that in my life. Hmm. I like it. Well, thank you. I was excited. Yeah, was yeah thank you. Thanks again for tuning in and listening today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and got some nuggets of wisdom or new insights out of it. I'm so looking forward to bringing you some more episodes and you can help me out by liking, sharing, leaving a review and telling your friends about the show. Be sure to stay tuned to my posts on social media or sign up on my website, mollyking.com for updates on the show and my upcoming book. My first book, Don't Settle, is now available in paperback on Amazon.com, and it's also available in ebook format on Amazon or from my website. My next book, called Live Your Dance, will also be available soon. It's a collection of wisdom and good nuggets from the show here, plus some exclusive content where I'll share some of my own insights about living my dance. So lots to look forward to. And thanks again for listening. I'll sign off here, but until next time, be sure to live your dance.